welcome to episode 14 of Slaytanic Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week, we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics, and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from the lighthouse featured in Horror of Fang Rock, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? I'm very, very well. Um, it's actually nice here uh, on the uh, the coast of the English Channel, mm. um, being battered by 60 mile an hour winds and uh, hearing the the moans of seagulls as if they were lost souls fluttering past the lamp room. I imagine it's chilly. It's chilling. I'll say that. It's a very <laughs> relaxing place. Walls are very round. Um, there's a nice echo. Um, no one, as far as I can work out, has been here since 1978. Um, which means that the, the, the padlock was quite rusty. Um, which means the key I had did not fit, but it yielded to the crowbar with any, very little problems. Any sign of the rooting? Um, oddly enough, no. Um, I had uh, sort of come here in, 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 in the hope of spotting a rooten, to be honest with you, but uh, no, no, no rooten has made its, uh, its presence felt, as I believe, in fact, it is not since 1903. That's a damn shame. That's a real um, damn shame. Was, was, was the, last, uh, the last sighting of uh, the Beast of Fangrock. Maybe, maybe they'll be back one of these days. You know, the, you know the, the metal obelisk that's been found in Utah? I, I, I think maybe that could be the first sign of the rooten's return. So in order to ground us a little in history, I have, um, so we, we, I, I struggle for radio reception um, up here. Um, it, it took me a little while to get the, the old valve set working. Um, and there was still some charge in the batteries. Uh, and uh, after a little while, I, um, I didn't even realize that the BBC World Service had stopped broadcasting on shortwave. Mm. Um, so I, I, I've been struggling to get news from the outside world. Um, but I, I have caught a snippet or two um, of um, news about the strange metal obelisk, which has been found in Utah. Mm -hmm. And that's the beginning and end of what I know about it, that a strange metal obelisk has been found in Utah. Could you enlighten us all? Well, um, you, you know, almost as much as everybody else does. A, a, a helicopter was flying over like a, a barren area of Utah, otherwise known as Utah, um, and spotted this shiny metal object. They, they, apparently, they landed, went and looked at it, and it's some. It's you know, it, it's um, a four or five meter high column of metal. Um, it, it 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 seems to have no markings of any of any description. It seems to serve no purpose. It's just there. Um, some intrepid GPS hunters tracked down the location, um, and a you know a bunch of people. They reckon maybe up to a hundred people have trekked to the spot and, and stood next to it and have had you know you know the the, the modern phenomena of, of taking a selfie with, with next to anything you know. Um, so they've done that. Then, just this very morning, there was a, a fresh development because people yeah. continued to trek to it, and overnight. It's disappeared. It's gone. Um, nobody knows how. Nobody knows where it's gone. There's no evidence of any kind of transportation that could have removed it. All that's left is a prism of the metal that it was made out of. 
fascinating. It's clearly Rutan's. Well, um, I am going to say um, this is the first great mystery of the unexplained for the cell phone age. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to clarify that statement because, and this is very, very depressing to me, and it made me very sad. I assume that when cell phones got advanced enough that, to all intents and purposes, everyone from a first world country now pretty much has a camera of some description on them at all times. Yeah. I assumed this would usher in um, a new age of mysteries of the unexplained with lots of UFO photos, lots of ghost photos, lots sure. of inexplicable obelisk photos. Bigfoot. But, uh, well, uh, I mean, that, that goes without saying. That absolutely <laughs> goes without saying. Um, I should also point out that um, if you're me, there's nothing unexplained about Bigfoot. Go on. That's for another day. Okay, <clears throat> well, we, we look forward to that in a future episode. Um, but, of course, nothing of the sort happened. Um, as soon as um, everyone began to carry a camera with them at all times, almost all unexplained phenomena photographs simply stopped occurring. Sure. Which, um, for those terrible, lonely sceptics in the world, might have sort of made you think to yourself, well, if there were very few photos when there were not so many cameras, and now there are lots of cameras, there are even fewer photos, maybe none of those photos were ever real in the first yes, place. It's, it's curious, isn't it? You know, um, I wrote, I, I wrote a, a really, really terrible song a few years ago, but the premise was um, that since the proliferation of mobile phones, we've seen a, an absolute decline in supernatural phenomena and a, an exponential rise in evidence of the racism of police and security forces. What a depressing world. Yeah, I mean, um, the the interesting thing for me is that if you look at speculative fiction um, from the past, um, so from from the from pretty much from the age in which television has existed, um, everyone has always fingered television um, as having potential for abuse by statist powers and for being used by surveillance. The fascinating thing for me is that it was always assumed that if you wanted to get to know people's secrets, you'd have to use hidden microphones, hidden cameras, or else drugs and torture to get yeah. them to cough up their secrets. I can't, if anyone knows of a science fiction writer from the 30s through to the 50s, or even beyond, who even posited the idea that all you really had to do was to have someone make a public forum onto which people could spill their guts, no matter mm -hmm. how secret, and people would just do it mm -hmm. with no coercion whatsoever. Mm. Mm. Um, no, I can't, I, I can't think of it. Um, it's all a bit depressing. My week, Doc, I've been... The, the, the only exciting thing that's happened to me is yesterday I turned into a vigilante. Did you now? I did. Um, I had an experience. I was um, outside a department store in um, Lyon and <clears throat> the car park was totally full except for the disabled parking bay. I was standing next to this area just having a, having a cigarette as is my want and this enormous exclusive um, Lexus car brand new Lexus pulled up into into that parking spot and a family got out of the car 
um, with no no apparent disabilities. Let me let me put it that way. I, I, I was in a bad mood, Doc, and I thought this is this is unacceptable. I thought I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be a good citizen here. So I, I said to the guy, um, you know, you know, do you or, do you or any of your family have a disability? And he said no. I said, well, you know, so what are you parking there for? That's not for you. He got up in my face, you know, degage, degage, you know, all this kind of stuff, and. I said, I said, fair enough, fair enough. And I, I did. he went into the shop. I was fuming, absolutely fuming. So here's what I did, Doc. I walked away. I picked up a big brick and I threw it through his fucking car window. And then I walked away from that area feeling on top of the world. I did the wrong thing for the right reason. I've never felt so alive, Doc. <laughs> um, I probably haven't felt that alive since I literally came back from the dead. Yeah, well, of course. Yes, yes. I mean, you've promised us in the past, I think, your resurrection story, but we're still waiting. Maybe another, maybe another day. Um, let's move on. Corrections. Here we go. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Fog Hat. That's right, yes. You remember? Because um, we were talking about this kind of distinct style of American rock that only exists in America um, and doesn't seem to have translated to anywhere else in the world. Now, here's the thing, Doc. Fascinatingly, Fog Hat are a British band. Oh, my God. I, know, but I was as shocked, shocked as you are. A British band, they found no success in Britain. They somehow man managed to move to Los Angeles and hit the jackpot. How about that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. How about um, that? Yeah. Um, just to remind everyone um, that the, the chap I was talking about, who's the chap who's now the head of Interscope Records, um, I saw a documentary about him. Um, and um, he just made reference to the fact that uh, it was only my third job as senior producer um, and uh, a senior engineer, um, and I got to record an album by Foghat, the biggest band in the world. And mm. I sort of sat yeah. up and took notice. Who the biggest band in the world? <laughs> um, and that sort of opened a can of worms, which you and I talked through a little bit. And um, we sort of determined that there is this, this, this huge tranche um, of music sort of from the mid to late 70s, I think, um, of which people on the right-hand side of the Atlantic Ocean are almost completely ignorant um, because the impression I get it is um, it was massively popular within the US, by which I mean within and not the bits on the edge either, um, and was either never marketed at all or was never marketed with much gusto in any territories outside there. Um, so to learn that they do actually originate from the UK is, mm -hmm. is sort of gives me double pause and doesn't merely make me go, oh, it makes me go, oh. Yeah, yeah. Just as, like that. As the kids would, as the kids would say it, WTF. <laughs> um, I said, another correction, I said that Mudhoney supported Slayer the first time I saw them live. You seemed a bit surprised by that and you were correct to be surprised because I, I, it was incorrect. It was in fact Fudge Tunnel. I'm sorry, mud honey, fudge tunnel. Come on, give me a break. There's not actually a great deal of 
uh, I mean, they don't sound anything like each other, but there's not so much difference as you might think. Mm. Um, um, first channel I happen to know are on Eric Records around about that time, which is obviously the the, the, the metal connection. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that they might even have been released in the US by Sub Pop, which is the same label as Mudhoney was on. Oh, there we go. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it was a slight oversight on my on my part. Correction number three. I called Metal Storm Face the Slayer, the title track from Show No Mercy. I mean, of course, that is a foolish thing to say. Show No Mercy is the title track. Let's be honest. What could we? What, I mean, what could we call Face the Slayer? It's the. I suppose it's like the band title track, isn't it? Effectively. The um... is there is there a word for that? You know, like Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden. Is there a word for that? Um, eponymous is the word, isn't eponymous. it? Eponymous, yes, eponymous. I suppose that's true. Yes, yes, the eponymous title. Um, today's topic, Doc, I'm going to go off piste, if you don't mind. Um, not at all. We're not going to talk about metal. We're going to talk about something else that's happened this week. I want you to talk to me, Dr. Lequescence, if you will, about Diego Maradona. Um. Here is what I know about Diego Maradona. Uh, widely regarded as the finest footballer in the world, mm-hmm. was talked about a lot in the commentary of, I believe, the 1984 World Cup. 86. Um, 86, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, is, of course, legendary uh, in this part of the world for the quote unquote hand of God incident. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, which. Um, led on to, uh, so it, it, it actually spawned two phrases uh, that entered popular culture after that. The one is hand of God. Um, in other words, um, when you do something against the rules um, mm-hmm. or um, illegal or naughty or underhanded, but you get away with it. Sure. Um, and you go on to say, um, it was the hand of God. That's right. Um, and the follow-on from that uh, was another phrase which entered popular culture and is still in popular culture, and it's, we was robbed. Oh, we was robbed, yeah, we was robbed by the dirty arges, I think, yes. is, is the full expression there, Doc. Um, um, the... Once again, for those people who are younger than us, um, when did Argentina go on to win the 1986 World Cup? Oh, they certainly did. I mean, single-handedly, yeah. ironically, single-handedly, effectively, because of Diego. Um, yeah, he 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 coasted them to victory. So, uh, in in the aftermath of um, what um, Argentinians uh, refer to as, uh, I believe, um, Las Malvinas. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, um, mm-hmm. the, the the Falklands War to the uh, non 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 Spanish people, Spanish speaking people of the world. Or uh, because the, there isn't a good way of having audio only scare quotes. Um, we should put um, war with 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 several sca- with with mm. several sets of um, scare quotes um, yeah. around it because okay. we'll, we'll, we'll call it the Falklands uh, tickling contest if you if you prefer. Yeah, um, mm. I mean, quite obviously because for all of her tub thumping nationalism, um, Margaret Thatcher wouldn't actually have declared war on anybody because it might have um, harmed her international her, her filthy underhanded international trade deals. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, the, the, the doctor's getting, uh, getting getting political. We like this. Oh God, uh, I'm I'm not. I mean, um, what's political in selling weapons to the enemy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, um, let, let's not get too deep, Doc. It's a Slayer podcast. We're here to have fun, for Christ's sake. Um, back to Maradona. Any, any, any anything else? You know. 
I believe he was sort of scandalized for, um, oddly enough, doing um, once again several, skets, uh, several sets of scare quotes, some private trade deals with Colombia. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, oh, I just understood you understood your meaning, sir. Yes. Oh, certainly. He was a bit of a coke fiend. Um, fascinatingly, the only coke addict I've ever seen that is a big fat bastard. Um, <laughs> very strange. I wonder, were they cutting his were they, were they cutting his shit with sugar? It's very, very strange. Um, I've, yes, I've never known the like of it. Uh, the, the reason we're talking about this briefly is because, of course, this week, as a glimpse behind the curtain, even though this podcast will be released many, many weeks hence, this is the week when we, when the world lost Diego Maradona, a man who shall never be forgiven for that hand of God, but whose genius I felt needed to be recognised. Um, don't forget to contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at SlatanicVercast at gmail.com. You ready to rock? I am, yes. Let's go. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we are listening to, and generally, just get on down to a bit of Slayer. This week's song is track two from the EP Haunting the Chapel, called Captor of Sin. Let's go. It's an audacious start, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, I think it's a cracking start, to be honest with you. It is so in your face. I can't think of a parallel, actually. I can't think of another song by Slayer or by any other metal band, really, that starts in this way, just with a full-on solo assault, um, with no kind of... no real beat. There's no way to... you know, you. you, you you can't bop to this. You can't headbang to this. It's just, you know, horns aloft for 20 seconds, basically. Yeah. So um, do you think there was a purpose to this? Do you, do you, do you think when they, they composed the track or when the, the song structure fell out of practising, mm. um, there was a purpose to starting the track? And I'm, I'm always thinking in, in, in modern media, in modern television, I think it's what you call a cold open, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, sure. Um, so no atmospheric tracking shot, mm -hmm. no introduction, no scene setting. Um, mm -hmm. Second one, the action starts. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean Bond. Bond does this quite a bit, doesn't he? I suppose. Yeah. Um, so my expertise in in, in film studies um, is not nearly sufficient to be able to suggest what the first film was that did mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm at all um and i i only became aware of the expression quite recently specifically in the context of really quite modern television yeah um i can't think of another metal track that starts like that um i'll think of the title as we go along but there's at least one track by at least one progressive rock band mm. which starts like that but there's an expedient reason for that it was because 
by the time they came to record the track, the intro they had devised was already 22 minutes long. <laughs> because, because the producer somehow had to put this record onto one side of a, this song, onto one side of an LP, um, he just truncated the first, well, I think all of the introduction. Um, and the album starts literally at the introduction at, at the end of the introduction where the song is pretty much already playing sure yes um so i wondered if, if you know if, if maybe there was you know like a, like a i don't know like a hardcore scat jazz uh number that had done something I'm, I'm 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 not for a second suggesting that slayer invented this but in metal i can't think of a precursor <clears throat> It seems like a very, very hardcore thing to do. It's the mm -hmm. kind of thing I can imagine Minutemen um, or Meat Puppets or even very early Huskadoo um, in the interests of brevity. Um, so when, um, during those few years in the 80s where um, I think largely influenced by Napalm Death, um, brevity became very much a, a, a core celeb mm -hmm. in, um, in hardcore. And people would strip everything out of a song that... Um, they thought didn't need to be there. So no solos, no middle eights. Um, and I can imagine um, there might be any number of hardcore tracks that just decide to dispense with the introduction. But I would say if, if they are influenced by Napalm Death, they post-date this, this song. It could be. Mm. Um, I, I don't know how um, influential Napalm's sort of early demo tapes mm -hmm. Um, I know they were circulated quite a bit ahead of them um, sort of coming to prominence, um, which was on radio, I, I believe on radio. Mm -hmm. um, John Peel, I imagine. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Shall we press on and see, and see what happens next? Sure. Now, now we've actually got a riff. It's quite raucous. It's quite bold. Yes. And um, please um, criticise the statement I'm about, or critique the statement I'm about to make. This is the very first appearance of the fully formed incarnation of Slayer that would characterise them from this point onwards. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, the, 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 this sounds, this track sounds like their next album effectively yeah um you know chemical warfare of course was was the first track on this ep and whilst it you know it is majestic it does not it is not really emblematic of 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 what was to come um i mean thrash as fuck yes but uh, somehow it, it didn't have the like the dirtiness and the just the grime that the, 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 the this that this sound has it just Absolutely. it just sounds down and dirty to me doc yeah um so um if you like um the song has already proved its worth done its job demonstrated its value and now i can relax mm -hmm. um and enjoy it as a song in its own right and let's let's do, let, let's do that Feel the vibes through your body, I slip into your throat. 
world, isn't he, in the background? Absolutely. It, he's not very high in the mix, but my God, you can hear him absolutely battering those drums. Yeah, I mean, I was almost moved to point out, and oh my God, the production on the drums has gone to shit again, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, you're right. Yes, yes, it's interesting. Apparently, I was reading that there were significant problems um, with the production of, of the drums on, on this album, on, on this EP in general. Um, to the point that the, the drums were not actually set on any kind of carpeted area, um, which is obviously standard practice to, you know, to, you know, so, so they've got some grip and, you know, so, yeah, so they don't squirm of, around. Yeah. And, and, and so he, he was playing these drums on concrete. Um, and so they had to have two guys like sitting in front of the drums, literally just to stop them moving around. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it seems an elementary error. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how hard would it have been to uh, anyone who's ever been to an inexpensive recording studio knows perfectly well, if you go out the back, there's always a skip and in the skip, <laughs> there's always a scrap of smelly old carpet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe they weren't, maybe they weren't um, inventive enough to, to, to solve the problem. Um, or maybe, it, maybe they, uh, the budget had got too high and they weren't using really cheap recording studios anymore. Yeah, but, but, but if that's the case, you know, why would the, um, you know, the, why would the setup for the drums be, be, be so inadequate? Um, presumably because if it was a superior studio, um, they were used to drummers, um, who were possibly um, a little less um, a little less kinetic, uh, a little less thermodynamic than uh, than Mr. Lombardo. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, yes, yes. So maybe he was testing the boundaries of of what their setup permitted. Let's press on. Wait to hell, Wait, death is what you pray. Behold, They're definitely going for intensity. That's what. They're, yeah, they're, this is just you know we're going to be as intense as we possibly can. Yeah, and this brings up a thing that we've referenced or mentioned once or twice before, and is is going to be coming up a lot more quite soon. Um, a criticism, a, a criticism which I don't even consider to be a criticism. I've heard of Slayer recently is they're not very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Slayer were ever particularly heavy. I don't think you go to Slayer for heavy. Well, um, I think we, you go... We discussed this in the first two or three episodes, I think, Doc, where, you know, we, we, we were saying, you know, Slayer are, are full ahead, you know, full throttle, pace merchants, but not particularly heavy. Um, I, think this might, I think this might be an exception. This, is, this track's pretty fucking heavy, I think. <clears throat> um. But um, I think the the needle on the intensity meter mm. <clears throat> is registering higher than the needle on the heaviness mm-hmm, meter. Mm, you might be right. You might There's be a right. reason I'm bringing this up, um, because when multi-stranded extremity um, was beginning to be a thing in the mid-90s, um, there were any number of bands who liked to tout themselves with uh, the heaviness of someone heavy. Mm-hmm. and the speed of Creator or Slayer. Or, and I've heard some of those records and they sound horrible. 
Sure. Um, I don't think there's any band who's actually succeeded in doing that well. You can be fast and intense. You can be heavy and intense. Mm-hmm. I've never heard super fast and heavy done very well. No, I just I don't think it exists because because the two things are antithetical. To, to, to be heavy, it has there has to be kind of a a, a a slowness to it to allow kind of the chug to to resonate, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, yes, this is heavier than Slayer often get. I still don't think it's very heavy. I do think it's very intense. Yep, let's go. It will strengthen me. I see the glide in your every move. Death, your final plea. Wings of hell burns in my way. Death is what you pray me home. Capture a sin. I absolutely love the way he delivers the chorus. I, 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 the, the, you know, the four simple lines delivered with absolute precision and just the level of, of gravel in the voice to make them sound really, really demonic. I think it's great. Definitely. <clears throat> um, and I think demonic um, is, is actually um, a very good way of putting it. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, that for, uh, and I'm talking about metal, all metal now, except new metal, which doesn't count, for a genre of music which everybody in the world knows is something to do with the devil um, and Satan and demons and stuff. Um, It isn't that many metal bands who, in my opinion, can create an atmosphere that feels either truly evil Mm -hmm. or truly ritual. This song actually gets somewhat close to sounding claustrophobically evil does that make any sense to you it, it makes total sense you know I, I can imagine some kind of you know satanic ritual with you know th- thrashing naked bodies encircled in, in some kind of pentagram and this is the this is the background music it, ma- it makes total sense to me in my wildest fantasies oh i love it doc um yeah absolutely the, the I always imagine actual ritual Satanism having a slightly different background, but we'll cover that later on, Mm. much later on. Mm -hmm. Um, This is sort of what I imagine the soundtrack is um, when the horrible demons come out of the walls. Oh, God. I don't know why. Not again. Um, Not again, demons. Leave me alone. (laughs) I can never get this idea out of my head that demons come out of walls. And I, don't, I, I, I can never imagine them coming up through the floor. Which I know most people can. Um, but, yeah, I've always got this idea that they come out of the walls. There's a great um, film. There's a great 80s horror movie where the, 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 there were walls and demons' faces kind of press through it. But I, I can't remember what that film is. Oh, my word. It's um, fabulous. It We're going to have to research that. Yeah, um, well, any, anybody listening, if you, if you know what that is, please contact us on Twitter or Gmail and, and let us know. Because I need to see it. Yes, and, and, we, and we will probably do a bonus episode as gratitude. Your skin turns to leather, ignite your timid blood. You feel my lethal touch as I grasp your soul.
have a Kerry King solo here, most definitely. Um, the, 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 the wild, the, the lack of melody. This is, this is kingtastic. What do you reckon, Doc? Yeah, absolutely. No doubts at all in my mind. And the obligatory stops. Definitely. Um, all, all the ingredients are in place. Yeah, haven't been getting as many stops um, as I would like, but then basically if every song ever written ever had 50 Slayer stops in it, that still wouldn't be enough for me. Mm -hmm. That's true, I agree. <laughs> I, I can feel sweat. Definitely, mm. um, and it makes me—it makes me feel like I can smell things as well. <laughs> what are you smelling? Um, I mean, this is a stretch of the imagination for me, but since, um, as you know, I haven't had a nose for many mm. years now. <laughs> I know. Um, but um, sulfur, obviously, mm -hmm. um, bodily fluids, mm. um, iron. Um, so that rusty iron smell, um, yeah, like choking sulfurous smoke. Mm. Um, it's it's the kind of song that synesthetically conjures a smell that gets into the back of your throat and aggravates your throat. Mm. I get from it, if, if we're talking an, an olfactory um, perspective, that, that kind of smell in a, in a, in a, in a rough black country pub packed full of, of, of too many um, kind of aggro men where you just, you just know there's going to be a fight. Yeah. Um, I know exactly the smell you mean. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny enough, since we're talking about stale carpet in the skip, mm -hmm. um, there's that smell, isn't there, that has to be stored and um, matured for years um, by having a mixture of sweat, puke, piss, and mm -hmm. beer That's right. spilled spilt into the carpet, <clears throat> yes. um, and um, just like 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 a fine wine, just being <laughs> cultivated um, for years and years mm -hmm. and years. Mm -hmm. A couple um, of times, I, I, I've had my head pressed into that by some thug, so it, 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 it's it's a smell I am familiar with. Um, the only contact my head has ever had with carpet like that, I've never had anyone else to blame but me. <laughs> Let's finish the track. of sin from the haunting the chapel ep give me your brain dr lee Quessens. okay um so very very different from the first track um as an ep overall this is 
a massively transitory piece of work, isn't it? Mm, mm, I think so. Um, I had kind of thought or maybe expected that the previous style, uh, the initial Slayer style, would be um, jettisoned or thrown overboard after the first album has ended. But it's sticking around um, a little while, a little while longer than I expected, and in ways that I didn't completely expect. And I'm sort of putting together a, a, a little theoryette um, while I'm listening to this and while I'm thinking about it. <clears throat> I assumed that the new Slayer style was going to be a complete rejection of the old Noobum influences um, and an onboarding of the hardcore influences that we've heard so much about. I think I was incorrect in that. I think the new Slayer style, the one that um, we're going to get used to on the second album, mm-hmm. um, is fundamentally an, an evening up. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a word? Can I yeah, say I, I like up? it, yeah, yeah. I like it a lot, yeah. It's effectively an evening up of the more bombastic, more florid, more Nawabam style mm-hmm. that was showcased throughout the first album. Mm-hmm. I expected there would be a hard break. Um, finished with that, this is what we're going to do from now on. Um, in fact, um, there is a transition, and it's a very smooth transition. Um, and I think you've got to think about it as looking like a sine wave and a cosine wave overlapping. Mm-hmm. The sine wave, which peaks at 90 degrees, um, that's the more hardcore style, and that donates something to the new style. Then following on, um, half a phase after that, you've got the cosine wave, which peaks 180 degrees later. Sure. Um, and that's what I'm going to refer to in strictly scientific terms. Of course. As the eviling up of the Norman mm, style. Mm, mm. The I first think, album. I, I think the eviling up that, that you're detecting is in part to do with the fact that they've dropped the tuning on the guitars. I, 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 and I think that makes such a significant difference. It's only half a step, it's not even a full note. Um, but just in terms of the depth that it gives to those guitars, it totally revolutionises the sound. Again, I'm sure a, a, a metal band did it before them. You know, maybe maybe Venom did it. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head Venom's um, you know tuning preferences, um, or maybe Sabbath did it as well. I'm, I'm not sure, but it definitely adds to the evilnessnessness quotient um well it, it can make all the difference yeah. um as i've learned many times when for instance one of my dinner guests is unwilling to share information with me that i would really really like to get to know mm-hmm. um and you know, just like one half turn on the handle of the vice of course yeah yeah can can make all the difference mm. um mm. you know it, um yeah the, the the half step could be really important um I suppose I want to sort of wind up my, my little theory now by saying that, that the future Slayer, um, the, the definitive Slayer or classic Slayer that we're anticipating at this point of this exercise, um, is neither a complete dropping of their initial style, nor is it a takeover of the grubbier, more hardcore part of their style. Mm-hmm. It's a combination of the speed and intensity of the grubbier part of their more hardcore style. And I'm going to say it again, because I've taken to this phrase so much, the, the eviling up mm-hmm. um, of the Nawabam influences. It's, it's, an, it's, an evol- it's, it's an evolution, isn't it? Not a revolution, basically. 
I'm going to say it's an evolution. Wow. And with that, Doc, let's move on to the next part of the podcast. Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is generally screaming into our eager faces. So, here goes. Harlots of hell spread your wings as I penetrate your soul. Feel the fire shoot through your body as I slip into your throne. Cast aside, do as you will. I cared not how you plead. Satan's child now stalks the earth, born from my demon seed. Oh, aren't they kinky, Doc? There are so many suspect references to so many suspect things. Um, uh, I couldn't quite suppress a smile um, when I heard the lyric, Feel the Fire, because um, if I remember correctly, Feel the Fire is the name of an album by instantly forgettable cookie-cutter thrush band Annihilator. Oh, no, no, it's not Annihilator, I don't think. I think it's, it's Overkill. I think it's Overkill. Another right, terrible uh, thrash band. You yeah, know, you're quite right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Utterly forgettable cookie-cutter thrash band, <laughs> Overkill. Yeah. Not, not instantly forgettable cookie-cutter thrash band, Annihilator. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, um, there's also a reference to Demon Seed in there, which mm-hmm. um, was um, at least an instantly forgettable cookie-cutter horror film from... Mm-hmm. One assumes about the time that this album was released. Based on, I think Demon Seed is um, based on a really early Dean Koontz novel, if I'm not mistaken. Very good. Yeah. Um, Now, these lyrics are different to anything that we've seen before, aren't they? Because, Because we have this inclusion of clear sexual, you know, sadistic sexual um, connotation that I don't think we've seen before. This is worth bringing up. Um, I think, with the exception of the overtly straight-edge hardcore bands, um, I don't think I can think of a band more celibate than Slayer. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of a band less carnal. Um, I well, mean, it's even looking at this first this this first verse, which is clearly about sex and, and and in particular non-consensual sex um i'm not convinced it is mm-hmm. um and i am being a little contrarian here i will fully confess um and i might be trying to get sort of victory from the jaws of defeat here um I will do anything I can to attempt to head off accusations of misogyny in metal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I think it's never present, um, but um, I think particularly when you have a song that in my opinion is clearly about ritual Satanism, sure. um, not from any specific tradition of ritual Satanism, um, but from the sort of shitty horror novels and things that they'd evidently been reading at the time. Um, things that sound like descriptions of non-consensual sex 
um, I don't necessarily think are. Could you pick out um, a couple of lyrics that, in your opinion, um, illustrate non-consensual sex? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I will attempt to rebuff you. Okay, well, I can't just give you an individual lyric, but I, I will go through the, the whole verse piece by piece, and then, I, and then I will give you the line that I think clearly demonstrates this is non, a non-consensual act. So, harlots of hell, spread your wings. Spread your wings is clearly a reference to labia, you know, the vagina in general, as I penetrate your soul with, 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 with the demonic penis of some, of some kind, I imagine. Feel the fire shoot through your body. That is ejaculation, I would say, as I slip into your throne again you know a, a, a not particularly well veiled reference to the vagina um cast aside do as you will i don't know what that means Ca oh, cast aside do as you will oh, so i'm done with you you know i'm done with you I've, I've i've shot my load basically i'm done with you i'm not interested anymore i care not how you plead and that's the line that makes it non-consensual for me satan's child now stalks the earth so after the rape the you know the the the, the fertilisation has taken place, and Satan has been implanted in the in the womb of this poor innocent creature. Um, right. Let's see how I can do. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in um the the, the very first um, expression, the very first expression, harlot, um, which is a euphemism for a prostitute. Um, and is also a euphemism for a sexually profligate woman. Mm -hmm. um, so we must question from the very beginning whether there's anything non-consensual um, occurring here at all. Mm -hmm. um, but, could, but could it not be that the, it, because it's coming from the, from the perspective of the person speaking, it's their judgment of that person, not the reality of that person? Yeah, in which case I don't see there has to be any ritual satanic angle to it at all. Um, it um, could literally be the, uh, a speech from the mind and mouth of um, a perfectly normal mundane rapist. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The line, um, do as thou wilt, by the way, is a very explicit reference to Alistair Crowley. Oh, really? Okay. Um, it, he, um, his sort of catchphrase or um, which... I believe he claimed was derived from the Egyptian book of Thoth mm -hmm. was to do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, he referred to his, um, the, the women who participated in his rituals um, and um, who were encouraged to regard his, um, his semen as a sacrament. Um, uh, he referred to us as, as, as scarlet women or harlots. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think we may permit ourselves um, a little ambiguity here. Um, we're not trying to get away from the fact that the song is flirting pretty unapologetically with some pretty rancid misogyny. The conclusion I don't want to come to um, is that it's merely a song about a mundane rapist. You, you don't want this just to be a rape fantasy, do you, really? No. Yeah, um, and, I, and I totally understand that. See, I, I don't take it to be that, you know, it, it, because of the because of the demonic, um, fantastical elements to it. You know, this is this is more to me. It, this, you know, this is more Clive Barker than you know just some kind of you know nasty old sex pest having a having a, a crafty wank thinking about raping women. Yeah. Um, 
so I mean, if if we are going down um, the Clyde Barker route, mm-hmm. and at the risk of putting both feet into some politically very very suspect territory, mm-hmm. um, Clive Barker's work. Um, I don't think any of Clive work, Clive Barker's work could even exist without inviting the reader um, to consider um, the very, very ambiguous nature of consent. Mm -hmm. Um, Clive Barker's work is full of people who, um, I think the phrase in in, in STEM circles that's that's used is, is full of characters who are betrayed by their bodies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Their their minds are appalled um, by the things they're asked to participate in or the things they end up doing. Um, but their bodies respond in completely unexpected ways. It's interesting. I don't think you could get away with a song like this nowadays. Mm-hmm. People would balk at the idea of even putting this on a record, and I certainly think record labels would balk at the idea of putting it on a record. Sure, very, very interesting. Um, any, anything else to say, or should we move on to the uh, chorus? Let's move on to the chorus and see if we can be enlightened a little more. Here we go. Hot winds of hell burns in my wake. Death is what you pray. Behold, captor of sin. Um, first things first, Slayer. We need some grammar lessons, don't we? You can't have hot winds of hell burns in my wake, you know? The plural cannot be burns, it has to be burn. Things burn, the thing burns. Come on, Slayer, learn your fucking grammar. Yeah, and probably don't write lyrics that, um, probably just because we've been talking about beer, and um, we haven't even mentioned curry this episode, (laughs) but a a lyric that makes you think of farting after eating a particularly hot curry and drinking too much beer. I'm sorry, hot winds (laughs) of hell burn in my wake. Mm. Uh, that, that, that sounds like a, per, a particularly ferocious chicken dish, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> really, if we think about it. <laughs> um, anything more uh, pertinent about these lines? Because I, I can't really pick anything out of this, to be honest. I, I don't think it means a single fucking thing. No, I can't think of any explicit ritual satanic references or mm-hmm. mythological references. Um no, I just can't help it thinking of anything other than squeezing out a particularly <laughs> rancid pint of air. <laughs> but, however, I do like the last line, you know, behold, captor of sin. That's dramatic, isn't it? Behold, captor of sin. It, 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 it's great. It's, it's, so, it's so evocative. I, I do yeah, like I mean, it. it's just one of those things that if, if you're sitting there with your notepad writing some metal lyrics yeah. and the thought cross, crosses your mind, should I or should I not use the word behold? The answer is always, <laughs> yes, you, yes should. you should. Yes, you should. Every single time. Um, let's move on to um, the next verse. The slaves the manipulation captive of my vice. Infernal slaves of manipulation, captive.
irrespective of my vice. Abandon God, the helpless one, to relieve you of your plight. Subversive action will not help. It will strengthen me. I see decline your every move. Death, your final plea. This is a tough one for me, Doc. I don't, I don't really, I don't really understand what, what, what they're babbling on about, to be honest. I don't think these lyrics were particularly well thought through. Mm. Um, I'm drawn to the, the couplet, um, subversive actions will not help. Now, um, who is alleged to be contemplating these subversive acts? In the context of the verse, it's Christians or Jesus or God who is <laughs> contemplating subversive actions. But aren't subversive actions normally the purview of Satan? Yeah, the, 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 exactly. I mean, the, 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 that's what I would say. And also, if we go back to verse one, you know, the, surely the, the the subversive action happening there is, you know, the is, you know, the the the, the you know the, the the sexual attack on somebody. Um, and and then suddenly the the, the protagonist speaking is saying, well, that's not going to help. It's going to make me strong. It just doesn't seem logically. It just doesn't hold together, does it? No. Um, I mean, it's you. You can't use a word like subversive um, without opening up a whole can of worms. Um, and I think what's key here is that amongst themselves, and I think by society at large, it's Satanists and occultists who are considered to be the subversives. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's organised religion which is considered to be the, um, the force of conservatism. So unless there's been... A radical switch in perspectives here. The only way in which it makes sense is if there's been a radical switch of perspectives. And what are we now read, uh, uh, hearing a statement from the the, the Jehovan or the, mm. the, the Abrahamic side of the argument? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because the first four lines are clearly, it, 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 it's an attack on Christians, isn't it? You know, the infernal slaves of manipulation. That, 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 that's the label that, that, that they're putting on Christians, basically. And then saying that they are captive of my vice, you know, you know, I, I will, I, you know, my evilnessnessness will, will, you will be beholden to it. Abandon God. The helpless ones that's an instruction and then an insult to their chosen deity to relieve you of your plight you know i'm i'm actually here to help you i'm i'm the devil i'm actually here to to save you from yourselves you see i think that whole chunk of lyrics makes as much sense if you think about it from being the point of view of, of a, a complete switch in perspective mm. this is now um this is now the verse coming from not necessarily God, um, but from a senior official of God, Archangel Michael, who is in turn renouncing the disciples of Satan um, as being um, the slaves of manipulation. Um, it makes almost more sense from that perspective, and it makes sense um, of that damnable um, subversive. Um, and this brings up something that once again we'll be coming back to more and more and more. Um, Tom Araya, I believe, has on more than one occasion um, asserted um, his own Christianity. He has, yeah. I would be very interested and I would be more than a little pleased if that turned out to be correct. Mm. Um, and um, we have a song that's actually sort of pre presenting, presenting both sides of a conflict. It's very difficult to know, though, whether when he says that he's being serious or not. 
I've seen him interviewed a couple of times making that assertion and there is a smirk on his face and a, and a glint in his eye that suggests that he is literally just um, trolling effectively. Right. Yeah. Um, in that case, um, if it turns out that he is trolling, mm -hmm. um, by the way, I don't see any um, conflict I don't see any contradiction at all in being a practicing Christian and studying Christian ethics mm -hmm. and Christian philosophy and having a bit of a dark imagination. Sure. Um, I would also regard it as practically an obligation that if you consider yourself to be any kind of a rounded Christian or if you have any kind of, if, if you claim to have any kind of grounding in your opinions, then you should probably study Satanism as well. Mm -hmm. If someone claims to be a Christian and has never read um, Dante or Byron or Goethe, um, I really don't think those people are getting the whole picture, and I think they probably need to educate themselves a bit better. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with the Jehovah's Witness, really lovely fellow, and I, I had to explain to him what the rapture was. Right. Um, that's possible. Is is the rapture generally a part of, of, of Jehovah's Witness? Well, I don't know, but I just found it very surprising that somebody that, you know, bases their, their you know, their, their, you know, their kind of life ideology on, on the Bible would not understand, you know, would, would have literally no grasp of what the rapture was. You see, I thought the rapture was an explicitly Pentecostalist thing. Um, <clears throat> I would, I, I would, if I'm right, um, and true believers in the audience, um, mm. Please, by all means, correct us for our own education. Mm -hmm, please. Um, I had an idea that the rapture was very, very much of a, a, a Pentecostalist or um, at least Protestant thing. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine Jehovah's Witnesses or people from other branches of Christianity, probably even Catholics, mm -hmm. denying knowing what the rapture was. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. Um, <clears throat> we, we, we don't want to go down too much of a theological um, dead end here, though. Um, any final thoughts on this particular verse before we move on to the final kind of break, I suppose we could call it? Sure. I mean, um, let's get all the lyrics um, out in the open. Um, then um, we'll see if the uh, we, we, we can draw any conclusions after that. So here we go. Your skin turns to leather. Your timid blood, you feel my lethal touch as I grasp your will Skin turns to leather. I ignite your timid blood. You feel my lethal touch as I grasp your weary soul. I'll take you down into the fire. So again, you know, it seems from my point of view, we've got the same perspective throughout. You you seem to feel there might, there might have been a switch of perspective in that second verse. Um, you know, I think again, this is you know some kind of demonic force or entity of some kind suggesting that you know his very touch will will will, will you know will will render the the flesh of a, of a christian into leather 
the, your timid blood. So, you know, there, there, there's this, you know, there, there's an insult thrown in there as well. You feel my lethal touch. So we've got, there's a, there's a bit of kind of braggadociousness here, isn't there? You know, I'll, look how powerful I am. You know, I'm going to boast about it as I grasp your weary soul. That's a strange ad adjective to use. I don't know why they say weary. And then we've just got that great delivery from Tom at the end. I'll take you down into the fire you know the, the the final threat that you're basically you motherfucker are coming with me and we're going to hell yeah um the reason i explored the possibility of um the second verse containing a perspective switch mm -hmm. um, is because I, I i really want to come up with a satisfactory explanation um, for the use of that subversive yeah because um, other than that it makes no sense sure um I don't see why there couldn't have been a switch in the second verse and a switch back in the third verse. Perfectly possible. Um, I can't help raising a bit of a smile at uh, the expression, uh, sort of um, skin turning to leather, because mm. it, it just makes me think of mutating someone into a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll get into some very, very silly stuff that I don't really want to get into now. Mm -hmm. um, we've, we've all seen V, Doc, don't worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to have to sort of come to the conclusion that the lyrics make much more sense as noises for Tom's mouth to make. Mm -hmm. um, once again, it's completely unfair of us, by the way, um, to critique song lyrics um, as if they were poetry. Of course. Um, they were never meant to be read out in a prose style um, and they weren't written to be discussed um, in this way. The lyrics were obviously written so that the meter would fit the music mm -hmm. um, and the words would be somehow thematically appropriate to um, the emotions that the band wished to evoke. Um, in fact, just as in actual ritual Satanism. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and in fact, I would say to, to that end, they, they absolutely satisfy that criteria. You know, um, we you know we we talked about the music being kind of down and dirty and you know grimy and 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 I think certainly the lyrics are that especially that first verse I think I think they're they're, they're spectacularly uh, nasty and unpleasant. Yes, they are. I think I'm I'm sort of at the end of everything useful I, I've mm. I've got to say about um, those particular lyrics. There you go. That's it then. We're done. Let's move on. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. But before we do that, some details. Writing credits here. Music credited to both Hanneman and King. Lyrics to both Hanneman and King. A point of note here, Doc. We are yet to see a writing credit for either Tom or Dave. Um, how much does Dave ever get involved in the writing, even well, later on? I don't on? know. I don't, I, I don't know the answer. It's, it's, it's not something I've ever really paid attention to. I wonder if he will get a single writing credit. I know Tom does, certainly, you know, by album four and five, I'm pretty sure he starts getting some credits. But I don't remember ever seeing Dave's name credited. Um, this track, um, set list... Um, tells us it was played by the band 620 times during their gigging career. And that puts it in a, a very, a very, very creditable um, 15th position. 
Um, the first the first play was at uh, somewhere called the Empire Theatre in Sacramento on January the 11th, 1984. And the last play was at the Pulp SummerSlam Festival in on March 23rd, 2019, which was an outdoor music festival in the Philippines. So who knows? Maybe everybody's favourite cheeky uncle, Rodrigo Duterte, was moshing along. Um, but what that tells us is, you know, it, it's a constant, isn't it? It is, it's, you know, the, the, they never dropped it. It was, it was there from beginning to end. They didn't play every gig, but my God, they played it regularly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So that they, uh, they must have at least liked it. Yeah. I, 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 I suspect part of that is just that absolutely audacious opening section, actually. I, I, think, I think that's just like a, like a demonstration of technique, prowess, and balls-out thrash godliness. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been racking my brains throughout this recording session, and I still can't think of another song that starts like that. I can't. I, I, I just can't. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying it's incomparable. I'm not saying that they invented a new kind of, you know, song structure. But my God, it's difficult to think of, a, of an equivalent. Um, final thoughts, Doctor. Wrap up. Um, it was okay. Mm. Um, I really, really appreciate it for being another very important milestone. Um, in in the ontological progression towards the definitive version of Slayer, which we know and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from those few very important steps, um, I don't think it's a thoroughly remarkable song. Um, it's, it's a strange one for me because I, I, I like all of the component pieces you know, the, 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 you know, we've mentioned obviously a few times the the opening section. I like I like the riffs throughout. I think that you know the second solo is good. I like Tom's vocal delivery, but as 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 a whole, it just doesn't hang together as particularly memorable for me somehow. No. And I sort of I need to apologise. I think for not being able to come up with very much to say on this song, this episode, but it's. It's that kind of song, really. Yeah, you know, um, it is. You know, I think part of the problem is there, is there's no kind of standout moment. Kind of everything's okay, and 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 there's definitely. not one and there's not one like killer bit. Um, and there isn't even an awful bit either. And exactly, you know, so there's no low, there's no high. It just kind of it chugs along, does its job, and gets the fuck out of there. Um, yeah. And it is what it is. Um, I think we're about done, aren't we, Doc? I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, give us your scores. How many How many dequescent swords are we getting? Well, I'm going to have to give a score that reflects the impression it made on me. And I, I'm, I'm going to have to say five, which I know is kind of damning with faint praise. Mm, but mm. yeah, uh, precisely in the middle. Sure. I, I, and I totally understand this. I'm going to be slightly more generous just, just because of that... Um, that opening 30 seconds or so, I'm going to give it six mutilated most schools out of 10. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget to contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. I'm really hastily looking for our next song here, by the way. Aha! Um, join us next time when we will be discussing the next track from Haunting the Chapel called, coincidentally, 
haunting the chapel. I'll see you well, then. Don. How about that? How about that? Later. See you later.